But then the bad stuff kicked in. He started spending personally. So pretty soon there was 2,000 missing and then there was 25 and then there was 4,000. And then all of a sudden two more receivables loans popped up. So now we were basically triple dipping before we ever even got to margin. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk, but to win big, you've got to reduce it. My name is Andrew Stotts from Ace Dots Investment Research, and I'll be your worst podcast host for the day. And I'm here with featured guest, Justin Christensen. Justin, are you ready to rock? Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> so, Justin is a self-proclaimed numbers junkie and digital marketing veteran, father, husband, and number one best-selling author of Conversion Fanatic, how to double your customers' sales and profits with A-B testing. He is also the co-founder and president of Conversion Fanatics, a full-service conversion rate optimization company, helping companies like Burt's Bees, Dr. Axe, and many others improve their results. Justin, take a minute and fill in further tidbits about your life. Yeah, so I've been a digital marketer 20 years. I think this is year 20 for me now. Quite a journey. Sold a company 10 years ago because of what I sold there. Got asked what I was going to do next and just kind of bought a demand, went into the optimization world and started a small consultancy and figured out that I can't do everything myself. So partnered up with my business partner now that's very much my opposite. And I kind of make messes and go fast and break stuff. And he cleans it up and organizes it and processes and systems and all of that fun stuff. And six plus years ago or so, we started what's now Conversion Fanatics. And, you know, since then, it's been quite a journey, you know, ups and downs and growth and had some not so fun moments, which I think we're going to talk about one of them. <laughs> well, then before we get into that, you know, I'd love to talk about what you're doing and your book and all that. And I guess, you know, mm -hmm. the first thing is that for the layman or woman out there, what does it mean conversion anyways? Like what some people, you know, I can remember, you know, many people, myself included, we put up websites as like a we thought, you know, oh, this is my store, or this is my poster, or this is, you know, we didn't think in the past about conversion. And nowadays, there's so much talk about it. But I'd love it if you just give a, a top line picture of kind of what does this mean? And then maybe you could tell us what you cover in the book so that we can, you know, understand it. Yeah, so conversion is basically a desired action, you want a website visitor to take, that's whether them picking up the phone and calling a number, or filling out a form or, you know, the ultimate catalyst exchange for money for services or product. And that's really it. It can be literally a hundred things within there. It just depends on what's important to you and your business. Mm. And um, this desired action is great because it makes you realize that, well, it's a series of steps, I guess. Mm -hmm. It can be. Yeah. I mean, I just say it's a path. It's a journey that you take a visitor on in the least of the path of least resistance to where you want them to go. And that's where you need to take them. And there's a bunch of, can be a bunch of steps in between there, or it could be just one or two. And I really wrote my book on that same philosophy. I was tired of everybody just preaching on how to get more eyeballs on what it is you offer. And somebody didn't talk about the second side of it. And that was conversion side. Mm. And I, frankly, I was tired of repeating myself <laughs> on the same exact thing. So yep. 
I set out to write a book and basically brain dump what I had previously, you know, learned in, you know, almost 15 years or so career. And I wanted it to write it in a tangible way. So anybody, either a beginner or a seasoned veteran can open it up and get some actionable item or lesson or aha moment. And I'm an avid reader as, I mean, most people can't see this, but you're on video and have a big bookshelf behind you. But same thing. It's, you know, I was tired of all the fluff. Everybody just, they would give you two or three different ideas and, you know, the rest was just kind of jargon and filled with just stuff to fill pages, you know, because maybe their publisher required so many pages to get it going. One other question I have about that. I mean, first of all, I noticed, I believe, did Ryan Levesque write the forward? Yep. Okay. So yeah, Ryan, he did. Ryan Levesque is known, you know, for his ask method and, and all that. And I think that's pretty exciting to get his endorsement. And I'm looking at some of the reviews where people, you know, wrote something like on Amazon, if you sell anything, online. You need to read this today before your competitors do. That's the headline of one of the reviews here. But maybe you could just kind of, you know, clue us in a little bit more now about kind of what would we get or what would we learn in this book from your perspective that would be the most valuable thing? Well, I just really dive into that it's not about you or I or the business owner. It's more about your customers and what they care about, what they like, what they dislike. And then how can you get into the minds of them from a psychological perspective and figure out their wants and needs and be able to market to them more effectively and what levers to pull in that journey that are going to give you the biggest leverage. And, you know, I get into also, you know, the tipping point of, you know, when your numbers actually make sense and also, you know, the myth of kind of free where a lot of people talk about free traffic and, you know, blogging and SEO and all of these things that go into it and why there is kind of a myth of free in the marketing world. And I just fill in the gaps between all of those things that kind of encompass all of marketing and optimization and just give people a roadmap, a game plan to effectively deploy it for their own businesses. Another question I have for you is, you know, there's listeners on this podcast that are listening to you right now and they're thinking to themselves and I myself am one of those that I'm thinking to myself, Oh yeah, wants and needs. I understand that. I understand my customer, you know, but really in reality with your experience and all of the people who thought that they knew what they were doing, what is it that you find, you know, that's derailing and going wrong, you know, and do they really know their customers? And that I think would be interesting to hear from you. Very few actually know their customers and market to them effectively even top companies, you know, doing a hundred million plus in revenue because they get so biased and they get so close to it that they can't see the simple levers that they need to pull and they need a third party perspective to kind of validate it because, you know, you and I are both numbers guys. Very few actually look at their analytics and let them let that data paint a picture of what their visitors are telling them and then back it up with some qualitative data you know, everybody focuses on the hard quantitative side, but what about the qualitative or what the visitors actually think or what questions do they actually have? And then once you marry those two, where a lot of businesses fall short is they just assume that something's going to work better and they don't test it. They don't measure it. They don't build upon those results to lead up to bigger overall improvement. That's interesting because in my area of finance, what I find is management teams of companies and leaders of companies, they massively overcomplicate things you know, things are much more simple. 
And, you know, strategy, you know, best strategy is the simplest, you know, shortest, clearest, you know, strategy. And from a, a finance perspective, you know, there's not a hundred ways to increase the profits or the value of your business. There's, you know, two to three to four, you know, I list out four, mm -hmm. you know, and that's it. And maybe one of those should be a focus for a year. So it's interesting to hear you say that it's so close under their nose, yet they are, you know, biased or they're not seeing it. And that, that's kind of welcome news. I think if, if a listener is ready to be awakened and observe what's going on, maybe reading your book could help them to realize, okay, this isn't, you know, rocket science. I need to figure out what they want and what they need. And I suppose putting my best guesses in front of them and AB testing that is my yeah. way to get there. It is. And I've, I mean, I've had business owners come to me and they have the most complex, crazy infrastructure and they're trying to just pack all of these things into their website. And I have one recently where we, the website was so bad that it slipped. I mean, we lost about three quarters of the conversion rate in a few months time. And I just stripped it all back to the bare bones and just said, here's the key things. And now we're back up to like from a 1% to almost a 5% conversion rate just because I just stripped it back and simplified. And in today's technology too, everybody's like, I need automate, I need automate, I need automate, and I need to do all of these things. I'm like, it hasn't changed in 20 years. You know, it's just the mediums have changed. You know, it's all the same thing. It's the basic marketing principles. It's just slightly different medium and slightly less or quite a bit less attention spans. So my last question on this, or maybe, yeah, my last question is simply that, <laughs> you know, okay, so, the listener has gotten, you know, and myself, let's say we, we agree with everything you've said so far, but then every time we go into this space of, you know, conversion optimization, funnels and all of this stuff, it just immediately seems so overwhelming. It's a lot like people coming into the world of finance. It seems really overwhelming. So what piece of advice would you give us to say, how do we, you know, simplify that? How do we take our first steps, whether that's maybe you've got some kind of, you know, tool or something, or we can go follow something on you, or you just have specific advice. How do we simplify this, you know, as we get into it? So a lot of people think that bigger is better. So they need to have bigger, bigger changes, like an entire site redesign or a site, entire page redesign. I say, start small, test the biggest leverage points that you can. And that's really headline. If I could spend 90% of my time, I would just test headlines all day. You test enough of them, you're going to see a 20% improvement, almost guaranteed. And then calls to action, social proof, and benefit statements. Mm. And then imagery to follow up behind that. And that's really it. And I, I don't overcomplicate it. I use a basic heat map, kind of scroll map, click map tool. My favorite is Hotjar. Yep. There's a bunch of them on the market. They're all great. And then I use a testing tool. You know, you've got free ones like Google Optimize, which I don't recommend if you're a seasoned business, but if you're just getting started, use it. It's cheap, you know, freeze about as cheap as you get. It's simple for the most part, you know, to make the necessary changes, especially small things like headlines. Mm. And then you can get up to complex like enterprise tools like convert.com and Optimizely and Visual Website Optimizer. And, you know, Adobe has a suite of products that do it too. But I just, I don't like to, get crazy with the analytics and I don't like to get crazy. I just need a couple different data points, you know, and that gives me plenty to, to make an informed decision on what I want to go next. 
Fantastic. Well, that's great. You know, great insight for all of us to keep it simple. And, you know, there you are a numbers guy. And what you're saying is I don't need a hundred data points. I need a small number that I, that I pivot and AB test and try to improve. So that's great uh, Mm -hmm. feedback. All right. Well, now it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one ever goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it and then tell us your story. All right. So this was, this is recent. This is only the end of last year. So I had a, got a phone call at the office one day and a gentleman was freaking out. His business was kind of floundering. E-commerce business right in my wheelhouse. That's the type of companies we help. He was a local guy. And so he came, we arranged a meeting. He came into the office and met with me and my business partner. And I started digging in, looking at some more details. And I'm like, well, you're screwing up in all of these places. And you got this far by just not really knowing what you're doing at all. And got further and further into it, went out to his facilities and got checking into it. And I basically said, you know, hey, I'll help you out, but I want in. Like, I want, like, I want a piece of this. And we and ended up investing a small amount. I mean, in grand scheme of things, it wasn't a, a ton of money, but still it's enough to say, ouch. And we took over 30% of the company and we said, Hey, we're in charge of marketing. And we did our due diligence and we understood that he kind of had an out, he had an outstanding kind of receivables loan on the products. And we thought, okay, you know, we can get by with that. The numbers, profit margins were good. Books were kind of a mess, which should have been a big red flag to me to start. But I was like, hey, I've got an accounting team. Let's just come in here and kind of fix this, you know, get the books in order. And they were kind of commingling some funds and we separated some stuff out, but nothing to like shy me away from it. Because I have a history in that market of who he was marketing to. I kind of grew up in that world and I know how, how rabid of a fan base it is and, you know, how much they spend on certain aspects. And there was a lot of room to expand product line and, and do all of those fun things. And this was in like late September, I think. We signed the deal. We created a new LLC, so clean books, clean entity, pulled over the assets and, you know, made him a partner, made it official and set up new banking and did all, tried to do everything the right way to kind of clean the slate and, and separate it out. And we started humming along and doing sales and we spent a bunch of money on advertising and really dialing things in and increased, you know, his average order value up to like, I don't know, I think we increased it like 40% or something in a very short amount of time. But then the bad stuff kicked in. He started spending personally. So pretty soon there was 2000 missing and then there was 25 and then there was 4,000. And then all of a sudden, two more receivables loans popped up. So now we were basically triple dipping before we ever even got to margins. (laughs) So cost of goods sold and three receivables loans were payment back. And we're talking stupid. I mean, just stupid high on percentage rate that he signed up for on these loans. And we started quickly realizing that we weren't going to be able to outmarket this you know, this problem because his spending uncoupled on the debt just wasn't enough. It was one loan we could have gotten it and done it well. Had a few conversations with him, told him he needed to rail in, you know, rein in his his spending. And he just kind of scoffed at us. He's like, I don't spend that much. I'm like, you have higher expenses than I do. And, you know, just all of these things. He had, he didn't even have a mortgage or anything like that. And 
for him to outspend me. And I, I live pretty, pretty within my means, quite a bit within my means. And he did not. <laughs> and then we did Black Friday, Cyber Monday. It kind of felt a little bit flat, but we did, did okay, given the circumstances. And then we had a meeting with him and his brothers. He always brought his brothers to meetings, which was really weird. But we had a meeting with them at a coffee shop and basically said, hey, we're, you know, we got to do something different or the business is done in two weeks. I mean, we're out of cash. Like you've, you've spent it all. And we're not, we're not investing anymore into this. And I was at a, my kid's football game and I get a notification on my phone that I had a change in my access to the bank account. And I logged in and I looked and I didn't have access to anything. Like literally the bank account, the PayPal account, the website, literally everything I got locked out of. So I sent a group text um, to them and then he made up some big story about how he didn't want to burden us with burden us with his debt and that, you know, he wanted, it was his problem that he started the company and he can take care of it. And I was like, well, that doesn't work that way. Like you don't just solicit funds from somebody because he literally did. He, he asked us, he said, how about this much for this much? And we're like, that's securities fraud. Do you want to go down that road? You know, and we want to play that game. And then he started backpedaling that pretty hard and essentially locked us out. And we said, well, do we want to fight this any further? Contact the creditors. I said, you know, here's the situation. We took over partnership on this business. The guy is trying to get out of paying that debt by like rebranding the site and selling the same products under a new website and basically just gaming the system, which will it'll catch up to him, but he's doing that to this day. And he basically locked us out and we said, do we want to fight this? The guy didn't have anything really to, to go get and, you know, to file suit, it's going to be, you know, too many thousands of dollars to, it was about as much as we put into it to file suit and we wouldn't essentially get anything out of it. So we just agreed to write off the debt <laughs> that our investment and we had attorneys draft agreements and basically said, don't ever contact us again about this or we'll go through with filing charges. And he's talked smack about us a few times on some of his live streams, but he's never mentioned names. We kind of follow him too and have some people that still follow him to kind of see what's going on. But yeah, that was the, the big, essentially the guy took mm. back what we invested in and helped him grow because he had a spending problem. And luckily we ended up getting a couple of assets out of the deal that'll allow us to kind of catapult. And we've since went on and we started a quote unquote competing business with him because there are no non-competes there are no anything in, in place mm. for that. So we started a competing business and launched it and did it the right way. And it's shrugging along and starting to scale now. So just kind of a side business, essentially get our, our investment back. It's right. <laughs> kind of what we, we did it to do. But hmm. essentially my thoughts of the old school way of kind of taking people at their word and, and doing things on a handshake, even though we had agreements and stuff in place was not good. Hmm. So tell us the lessons. How would you list out the lessons that you learned from this? Lessons is I got emotions involved. I saw something exciting. I saw something that I could relate to from my literally me growing up. So I let emotions get attached to the kind of product and the audience that he was doing, even though I'm not a part of it anymore. Due diligence. I did not 
seek the signs of the red flags, like the, the commingling of funds, the lack of books, the lack of true expenses and P&L and balance sheet. And there were a few other red flags, like he didn't officially file the LLC paperwork from the original LLC. And then when I should have just said, hey, you know, you've got this debt, it's too much as a percentage of your revenue. And then I just didn't do enough due diligence to see the, the remaining two, which should have been apparent, but didn't until we were already in and we had already stroked the check. So basically emotions do more due diligence and assess the situation a little bit further mm. um, and don't rush. You know, the, the timing will come when the right time comes and I should have taken it. I mean, I've been through enough businesses that I, I know better but apparently I don't know better <laughs> at the <laughs> same do. time. I do. And, you know, I, I've changed my tune on how I assess things and I, I still get emotional about things yeah. too, but you know, we're human at the end of the day, but yeah, I just don't, don't rush into the situation. And, you know, if anything seems like a red flag and trust your gut, I mean, everybody says that the cliche in business, you know, trust your gut. If it seems off, it probably is. And it, this time it was. Mm. Maybe I'll, uh, I'll add in, what I take away from it. And it's uh, so much to learn from this story. First of all, you know, I, we were talking before the show that I've kind of categorized six common mistakes. And the fifth most common mistake is, or sorry, the third most common mistake is driven by emotion or flawed thinking. And I think that's, you know, one of the ones that we're talking about. The other one, which is the most common mistake is failed to do their research. But in some ways, you know, you did your research. It's just that I think that the, one of the lessons that I take from it is that how, how should somebody who's going into an investment react when they see a red flag? A lot of times, because we're driven by emotion, we go, oh, yeah, that, that'll be okay. We'll work that out. But my first takeaway from your discussion, and I want the, whole, the audience to really get this, the minute you see a red flag, you must stop and step back. And also, I think the other thing that it doesn't mean you have to stop the deal, but you must slow down your emotions. And I think that that brings me to another part, which is the idea of understanding the difference between emotion and intuition. And the great book by Daniel Kahneman about thinking fast and slow can help you to understand this. But intuition is an instantaneous and a very momentary feeling that will go away quickly. And then your emotions and your mind will override it. And it in many cases, it will be the right thing. And so one of the things that you want to do is make sure you're open and aware to the intuition message that is coming to you and be able to receive it. And so that's another one. The other one that I would mention is that, you know, what's critical here when you're looking at doing investments with other people is asking the question, who can bind this company to any agreement? And what we say in Thailand, it's called Kamakan Mi Amnat, which means the director who has power, meaning the power to sign the checks, the power to bind the company. And it's important to understand that that power can, you know, even if you're a 30% shareholder or whatever, you really need to understand who has that power and is there any way you can stop that person from doing that? And if not, you know, you better be extra sure that you can do that. And in my case, in my business, Coffee Works, you know, my business partner has the power to, to sign, but also I have the power to sign in addition. 
And so, you know, we, we understand that very, very clearly. And the last thing that I would add is this idea that in a sense, you, you decided to walk away from it. And I know one of the things after living now 29 years in Thailand is that I've learned that you do not have to have a confrontation for everything that happens in life. And in America, I grew up in a, it's a confrontational society, not necessarily in a negative way, but Americans are not afraid to take the bull by the horns and, and fight it out and confront. And you see police, you know, immediately moving to confrontation in situations. And you just realize after now living outside of America that everything does not have to go to confrontation and a calculated decision can be, I'm going to walk away from this. I know I'm going to lose, but I'm going to lose more by going in and fighting this thing tooth and nail and then not really getting anything out of it. So anything you'd add to those takeaways? Yeah, the only the other thing is, is, is my business partner and I, we've never butted heads in the entire career of our business partnership. We've always been, if it, we don't mutually agree on something, we don't do it. And we're equal partners. And we both mutually agreed that this was a good decision. And that's where I keep telling myself, it's like, you needed to do more due diligence because he got his radar didn't trigger the same as mine. And we ended up coming to a mutual agreement. So there's something to be kind of said about that, I guess, too, on that. It wasn't just me. It was actually my business partner too, that, that fell for it. And, you know, but there is something to said, like, I like that confrontation analogy. Mm. Cause at the end of the day, we just didn't want to fight it. We have another growing business and you know, it's, it was, it wasn't the end of the day. You know, I wasn't necessarily going to lose sleep over walking away from that deal. I would have lost more trying to fight it. I mean, I think in some ways it's what makes you a better person or let's say a better teacher or advisor is you understand that business success is about energy. We have a limited amount of energy. And the question is, where are we going to deploy that? I won't even say time, energy. And you yeah. can have a lot of time, but if you lose energy, you know, to go after something or to do something, you lose it. And so that's what I appreciate that I've learned from you from this story is the idea of understanding, you know, that I have only a certain amount of energy and it's not worth it to deploy it to this. And I suppose that that's probably what, what people would get by working with you is to know that that's exactly kind of the story that you told when you said that you saw, you know, the website of one of your clients that was so complicated and you said, I'm stripping this down. You know, we only have so much energy. We only have so much people coming to this. We have got to figure out a way to really optimize that. So I really appreciate that. Uh, the thinking that I got from you about energy. Thank you. So based on what you learned from this story and what you continue to learn, what one action would you recommend our listeners take to avoid suffering the same fate? Be patient. Just be patient, take it all in, trust your intuition. You said intuition, you know, I call it my gut feeling. Mm -hmm. I didn't trust it and I wasn't patient and I work very hard. I'm a very impatient person and I work very hard every day and have my entire career on being more patient. And in this case, I wasn't, so. Beautiful. All right, last question. What's your number one goal for the next 12 months? Double our current business. That's my putting all, you said energy. I'm literally putting it all out there. Everything we've got. We signed a bunch of promotional deals recently and some sponsorships and things and I'm going all out. Exciting. And if people want to, you know, contact you, what's the best way for them to do that? To go to conversionfanatics.com or? 
Yeah, conversionfanatics.com has a bunch of resources and blog posts and case studies and examples, and there's links over to my book. Mm. But you can find me on social media too at onespotsocial.com slash Justin Christensen, all one word. Great. And we'll put that on the, in the show notes. So if anybody wants to contact Justin, just reach out through the show notes or go to conversionfanatics.com. All right, listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. To find more stories like this, previous episodes, and resources to help you reduce your risk, visit myworstinvestmentever.com. As we end, Justin, I want to thank you again for coming on the show. I also want to congratulate you for being one of the brave ones. And I say brave ones because when I ask most people to come on the show, they say, no, Andrew. I'd prefer to talk about my winners. So you've now taken your worst investment ever and converted it into your best teaching moment. Do you have any parting words for the audience? Just go out there and try to be a little bit better than you were yesterday and learn from your mistakes. Amen. All right. That's a wrap on another great story to help you create, grow, and most importantly, protect your wealth. Fellow risk takers, this is Andrew Stotts, your worst podcast host. And I'll say undisputed. Not one person has disputed my claim. And I'll see you on the upside.